Welcome to the I didn't even have my thing unmuted yet. How about that? <laughs> it and is just a crack. Fail. It sounded so good, too. I had this whole great response were, after it was done. There was dancing. There was uh, music. I thought it was fantastic, but not even got to hear it. So well, anyway. Some lady said something about underwear. So. Yep. Welcome. That's right. In German. Welcome. Welcome, everyone. 31st Cersei. Make matriarchy great again. That is the dulcet tones of Don Sam Alden. Hello, Don. Hello, hello, and the harmonious tones of Sean Marlon Newcomb. Greetings, and we have with us today a special guest, a regular guest of ours, Dr. Gary Stickle. Hi, Gary. Hi, you both. Great to be here with you. Great to have you back. So today we are continuing our series in praise of the goddess, a more scholarly view of the feminine divine. And we will be talking about the goddess of love and other things, Venus or Aphrodite, if you prefer the Greek pantheon. And Gary, why don't we just jump right into it? Can you give us the big idea about Aphrodite? <laughs> well, well, she's um, uh, one of the major gods of the Greek pantheon goddesses, um, one of the 12 Olympian gods. And she's one that everybody can relate to because she's the goddess of love. Yes. So tell us about her. Let's jump into it. What are, you know, there are so many different aspects of the goddess that you share with us. So why don't you start us off with what you think her most significant uh, aspects are? Well, she's the goddess of love and beauty and sex and uh, desire. And um, supposedly she uh, rose naked from sea foam uh, riding on a scallop shell. That's and the it, origin story. Yes. And uh, and she was naked, by the way, you know. <laughs> so, of course, as the goddess of love, I'm sure the Greeks wanted her to be naked, of course. So... <laughs> Most of most of the depictions of her, like the the most famous statue of her, is a Venus de Milo, a Venus of uh, the island of Milos, um, or the Aphrodite of Milos. Uh, she's naked, and and that's why she's usually depicted. Um, and um, so she first stepped ashore on the island of Kithara, um, but. Um, she didn't uh, like that or something, so she went on to the Peloponnesus, or Peloponnesos, I prefer to call it. That's that's the lower area of Greece that has Olympia and Sparta and mm -hmm. so on. Um, but she eventually took up residence at Paphos on Cyprus. Okay. And that became her principal uh, seat of worship, as they say. 
most famous center of, of her world, you know. So um, let me let me ask, uh, I actually want to throw this out to both of you. So the origin story is she's born uh, on a shell from seafoam. How was she conceived, Gary? What's that real earlier portion of that? And Dawn, uh, I think you might want to jump in about some of her earlier aspects, maybe even on the historical level. Yeah, I mean, the mythological level, it was, um, you know, she rose from the seafoam when um, Uranus, one of the titans... Um, was uh, overthrown, castrated, and his penis fell into the sea. And uh, from his divine seed that was, uh, you know, contained therein, uh, she arose from uh, the sea foam and, um, you know, rode, rode on a mussel shell to the shore where when she shook the seawater from her locks, pearls fell to the ground and surrounded her. And uh, she was immediately greeted by the Hore. Hora? H-O-R-A-E? How is that pronounced, Gary? Uh, Hore. Yeah, okay. Who, um, who became her sort of followers and who provided her with attire worthy of her beauty. You know, could we, let's, let's maybe look at that portion of the myth because it's interesting the greeks have a very interesting and i think you brought this up gary very interesting notion of birth in terms of how it's handled in terms of gender we have a couple of goddesses that i can think of offhand aphrodite and athena who are born not of woman directly straight from the god so we've got somebody losing his junk and then aphrodite born <laughs> and <laughs> Then so, well, the, Zeus yeah, following somebody and Athena is born. So what do you make? Well, of that? that's one version. The ancients also had another version. Okay. And, and that version said that Zeus uh, made it with Dione, who was mm -hmm. the daughter of Oceanus. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, that's how she got born. So there's there's different versions, but... Uh, but what was know, what's the prevalent one? So you have the different versions. The, Where the one that Don said. The one that Don okay. said. And she's born from the genitals of Uranus when when Kronos, um, you know, overthrew him, right? And uh, and then threw them into the sea, and then they foamed up, and then she appeared, you know. So yeah, which would make her older than the Olympians. Yeah, I was about to say, was that make her a Titan? Actually, Gary, where does she, where does she fit? Well, she she wasn't considered a Titan in the pantheon, but uh, you know. Yeah, she was considered an Olympian. But um, but yeah, she was in one version of the myth. She was older than the establishment of you know the Olympian grouping with Zeus and Hera in uh, in control. It's that's I mean it's very interesting because yes, she's contemporaneous with the Titans, but she's considered an Olympian. Do we think? I mean, just we're throwing it out. Obviously, we're just conjecturing because of her the history of her earlier sensibility and earlier cultures, because I believe she is tied to the goddesses in other realms. Correct? Dawn? Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to, I'm going to read a little passage from um, Merlin Stone's book, uh, Ancient Mirrors of Womanhood. Um, and uh, this says, according to Herodotus, the worship of Aphrodite was introduced to Greece by the Phoenicians of Canaan. In turn, when the Greeks colonized areas of Canaan, they referred to the shrines of Ashtart as those of Aphrodite Urania, literally Aphrodite, Queen of Heaven. Uh, 
Initially revered as a more multifaceted deity, concerned with oracular prophecy and with battle, the Hellenic Greeks came to regard Aphrodite primarily as the essence of erotic love. This attitude may have developed in response to the sexual rituals so closely associated with the goddess as Ashtart and Ishtar in Canaan and Babylon, continuing in the Greek temples of Aphrodite, especially at Corinth. The Romans knew Aphrodite as Venus, the star that had been sacred to Aphrodite, Ashtart, Ishtar, and Inanna. So she has um, her origins um, in ancient Phoenicia, in the land of Canaan, and the nearby Isle of Cyprus, which is why this myth of her you know, coming over the waters and landing at Cyprus um, is a is a sort of mythologizing of what is quite possibly where her worshiper, where her worship came from and where her original form um, as a deity uh, immigrated from. So Gary, based on that, so what were some of her, her other attributes? What were some of her attributes, epithets, (laughs) things said about her? Uh, we have this ancient, we have this older goddess, obviously. We have something that she's representing, of course, the most primal of our elements and desires as humans. So what did the Greeks say about her? Well, um, you know, they uh, revered her uh, because she's a goddess of love. And, and so you want to get on her good side if you want to uh, have a love life, you know, <laughs> that sort of thing. Uh-huh. Um, and... Um, but they had, uh, like Don was saying, she had lovely aspects. Like uh, when she took to the air, she was accompanied by doves and sparrows. But when she walked on the sea, when she took to the sea, she danced across it. Um, and then her association with the sea led to the notion that seafood is an aphrodisiac throughout the Mediterranean. Oh, how interesting. Okay. And, you know, the, the word based on her, of course, aphrodisiac. Um, right, right, yeah. And uh, and then she became known as a Cretan goddess, and she had a, a supposedly a palace sanctuary on Knossos. That's, uh, I mean, that's interesting in and of itself for the stuff we've done that we've talked about in terms of the yeah. Cretan women and their history, the history as being more matriarchal and female-centered. And so here you have this ancient goddess who had all these other attributes beyond just being the goddess of love, having a place of uh, centrality on Crete. So. Yeah, yeah. And then so, she. Yeah. Oh, sorry. Go ahead, Gary. Yes. Um, and she um, supposedly had a magic uh, girdle that uh, when she either wore it or. She gave it to somebody else. Uh, it could make anybody fall in love with you. You wanted, you know. Right, right. So that that was one of her attributes. <clears throat> uh, also, roses represent her, and I think that's that's uh, very nice. Beautiful, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and the uh, her tree was the myrtle. That was a sacred, another sacred plant besides the rose. Right, right. Uh, and. Uh, but uh, she was uh, known or uh, you know, maybe somewhat notoriously in, in mythology uh, 
because he had a, a series of affairs. And um, so, for example, and this shows how the gods and goddesses could be jealous and, you know, and uh, do things to each other. Um, the god Hephaestus, or Hephaestus, um, who was the god that made uh, the palaces for the gods, he, he made the armor for Achilles and the Iliad, made jewelry for the goddesses. So he, he made a jewelry piece for Thetis, the goddess Thetis. And that made Hera, the queen of the gods, so jealous that she brought Hephaestus back to Olympus and arranged his marriage with Aphrodite, which I'm sure she didn't appreciate because he was a deformed god because Zeus threw him out of heaven and he, when he landed on earth, he broke his leg and then he, he, he limped ever after. So he was a lame god. Right. right. Actually, I thought that was interesting that the Greeks had a god who was physically challenged, as we say, or used yeah. to say that. Yeah, right. handicapped. I, I think that's very interesting. So, um, Reigns is married to Aphrodite, um, but then she was notorious for having a series of love affairs, and the the most uh, notorious one was with the the war god Ares. Right. And so, um, Hephaestus found out that she was having an extramarital affair on on him. And uh, they're actually using uh, his and hers marriage bed, you know, which is particularly offensive. Um, so as only he could, he created this, uh, you know, incredible net made out of bronze, but so fine you couldn't see it. It was invisible. And he arranged it so that when they're in bed, you know, having sex, the, they would be entrapped by the net. And so they did it. He entrapped them, and then he had all the gods of Olympus march by them uh, and, and to laugh at him and so on. You know, that's how he got his revenge. Right. Uh, so Aphrodite was a player, is what we're hearing. She had a lot of boyfriends. was the original player, my friend. Okay. Yes. She could not be contained within a monogamous relationship. Not all. And it goes on. It bed. goes on. It goes on. Yeah. She, uh, she was flattered by Hermes, you know, the messenger of the gods, the, the ones mm -hmm. the Romans called uh, Mercury. Um, so she spent a night with him, and that produced, get this, uh, a double-sexed being called Herma Hermaphroditus. We get Hermaphrodite from that uh, mythology. Oh, right, okay. right. It had the fully functioning genitalia of both the mother and the father. Yes. And, and then she had a love affair with Poseidon, who also fell in love with her and bore him two sons, Rhodus and Herophilos. Um, and then she even had a, another love affair with Dionysus, or Dionysus, the god of wine, women, and partying, you know? Mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah. And, um, and she bore him... Uh, a child by the name of Priapus or Priapos, who was supposedly a very ugly child with enormous genitals. And I believe a permanent re erection. Yeah. Yeah. Priapism comes from that from the name of that 
um, uh, the name of that god. Yeah, yeah. And now, now he lives in the San Fernando Valley. Okay. <laughs> uh, so, oh my! Now so, he lives in a little blue pill. Yeah. Yeah, she's he's working at a film production company somewhere in a San Fernando Valley <laughs> warehouse. Okay. So we've got Aries and Vulcan. Uh, Mercury, Poseidon, Dionysus. So those are just among some of the people. Did she have? Oh, she had a mortal, right? She had a mortal. Many yeah, mortal. Yeah. Uh, yeah, very uh, famous love affair with Adonis, uh, a beautiful young mortal, and um, he is sort of related to the recurring myth of the dying consort. Um. That, say a little more about that. That's a very important myth for the mother goddess. Yeah, absolutely. So you know, the myth goes, or one version of the myth goes with everything, you know, there's many versions of this myth, but one version goes that, uh, you know, he was um, a beautiful young man and Aphrodite fell in love with him, but he was so very interested in hunting that uh, apparently she didn't wear her girdle for this one because um, he, he, sort of, you know, put her off so that he could go, go hunt animals. And, um, and, uh, while he was hunting, he was, uh, uh, had a hunting accident and was torn apart by a boar, I believe. Um, and so he, her sort of funeral rites for him, um, were celebrated every year. Um, there, her, her female followers would um, would weave poppies and myrtle leaves. Again, the myrtle tree was sacred to her. In wreaths and lament with Aphrodite, um, carrying pomegranates of Persephone um, to sort of um, you know mark the transition between. Uh, Adonis living in the realm of Aphrodite on earth and then having to go to the realm of Persephone in death. So, and these it's, were, it's interesting because that's almost exactly like uh, Inanna and Ershkigal. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Um, and apparently, you know, according to one of my sources, these, these rites, um, you know, the funerary rites for Adonis were, um, were sacred rites that were only, that were, uh, again, uh, mysteries that were only celebrated by women. So um, they were enacted only by women. And uh, as, you know, the Greeks tended to be, they distrusted anything that only women took part in. So there is some... Uh, question whether the uh, rumors about, you know, her rights being all lascivious orgies were um, because they were women only and <laughs> the men, you know, were mistrustful of anything that only women did. So The, Gre the ancient Greeks <laughs> mistrustful of all female activities? I'm shocked. Say it isn't so. <laughs> Let's uh, well, let's close on uh, at least close out on some of uh, Aphrodite's boyfriends because I want to make sure that we mention a really important boyfriend of Aphrodite. Uh, I don't know if they were going steady for a long time, but what they did produce uh, their offspring was a fellow named Aeneas. Yeah, and Aeneas is the founder of the people of Rome. 
one of your favorites indeed. Yes. Yes. yeah yeah but that that is a myth in itself uh you know created by the ancient roman great poet right. Virgil. right and, uh, as uh, wait wait as um, opposed to the other real myths created by the greeks <laughs> No, but yeah, the, it's a myth. But so are the other ones. Well, okay, but the rea reality is the Romans aren't related. You know, actually, the, we, the, to no, the Trojans actually, at all. We don't know that yet because there is some arg there is some DNA analysis going to see if there is a connection between uh, the early Roman settlers and the people in Anatolia. Interesting. So, so there yes. may be a distant genetic uh, actual connection a migration um, story behind that myth that's that's what, that's what scholars are looking into now yeah. so um right. because they did check with um uh in Tus is it was it in tuscany uh they were they were finding some connection between well that that's what the etruscans, 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 not, etruscans right yeah no yeah, i know not, they're two separate they're two separate but I'm not saying, the romans but the etruscans yeah. right but the etruscans there looked and they found that but the romans they are now looking to see if there's a similar connection in terms of its actual migration so we don't know gary it may be that that great empire that greatest empire of the mediterranean gary may have been truthful in their story <laughs> of their descent from a goddess okay well, oh my goodness oh but my that's God. not the prevailing academic view but whatever all right all right we're gonna go through this so okay so let's hear about and to a different uh, a different angle on this yeah. of course what's what's um, her i'm sorry go ahead please yeah yeah a couple of couple of thoughts um uh, that uh, I picked up in my reading. Uh, this one comes from Patricia Monahan's book of Goddesses and Heroines. She's talking about how the um, the energy of Aphrodite and the sort of viewpoint of Aphrod Aphrodite of this, you know, um, complete um, unashamed embrace of the of the physical pleasures of life was completely incompatible with Greek culture, which was much more, um, uh, you know, their, their emerging sort of intellectualism and, of course, you know, their um, disdain for uh, women's rights and, and um, you know, any of the sort of women's mysteries, things that were led and empowered by uh, female energy. So, you know, that... Well, her, wait, wait a minute, wait a minute. Um, her sort of, well, let me finish my thought and then I'll let you... Okay. Um, so her thought is that um, that the sort of um, diminishment of Aphrodite to being the goddess of, of lust and love and physical beauty um, was because of this sort of um, uncomfortableness of the Greeks um, towards those things having to do with women. But you had, uh, so what are your thoughts on that, Gary? Yeah, I don't quite agree because um, the great Greek playwright, uh, we know him as Aristophanes, uh, but I had a beautiful Greek girlfriend that corrected me and she said it's not pronounced that way, it's pronounced Aristophanes. Aristophanes, great. Very beautiful, yeah. And, and cool. so I, I've actually, my bedtime reading is, uh, you know, I'm reading this great play, uh, you know, a, a, about uh, sex and war, you know? Mm-hmm. 
And Sean, you know where it is, right? Oh, of course, yeah. And Don, as as mm -hmm. Don does as well, uh, the Lysistrata. So yeah. what? So Lysistrata. So, so in, I'm reading. Yeah. I'm reading it right now, and and throughout the play, women are appealing to Aphrodite to help them. Mm -hmm. And so the, the, the great plot of the play, which I think is fantastic and you can't beat it, is you can't beat, uh, you know, uh, a production, a, a play or film that has to do with love and war. And so what it is, is the women of Athens get the women of Sparta to agree with them to not have sex with their husbands fighting the war until they stop the stupid war. And throughout the play... The women appeal to Aphrodite to help them in their endeavor. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so, and, so uh, and that and that shows that you know Aristophanes uh, had a regard of Aphrodite in that way. Mm -hmm. Well, I I would say that that is open to interpretation. In that the only power there that Aristophanes grants to women is uh, that of sexual attraction um, rather than, you know, the ability to reason with their husbands or to, um, or to simply go directly to the Spartan women and negotiate a peace with them. But, uh, but, you know, that's the wonderful thing about myth is that, uh, and storytelling is that it can mean different things to different people at the same time. It's yeah, it's an interesting because we have so many with the Greek myths and why I think they've lasted. They are rich. They are open to so many different interpretations. And I think in particular, what the two of you are talking about in terms of the gender relations, in terms of the way and unequivocally problematic view Greeks had of women in actual life, in their social life, in their real That's, life, yeah, compared to the pantheon of very amazing goddesses that they have, these really powerful goddesses. But even within that pantheon, I know, Dawn, you and I talk about, you have a problematic interpretation of where these goddesses are from, their womanhood, their femininity. So it's a really interesting to look at the mythology to see the clash of that sensibility of the early female in power, the later patriarchal viewpoint and how they that yeah, under yeah. under patriarchy women's power shifts from direct to indirect right right so it's an it's a very interesting it's why the world is so rich and the mythology has lasted as long as it has i think that tension makes it so so gary i i'd be curious too because i know in when you go through your list of things you look at with a goddess, you often talk about their epithets and their appearance, how the Greeks described them and what they used to describe them, what they said about them. So what, what were the epithets and appearance, dress, all that sort of thing for Aphrodite? Well, um, in terms of dress, like I said, they basically viewed her as nude, but occasionally, you know, they depicted her with clothing, you know, on uh, vases and, and statues. So is she traipsing around Olympus sans clothing or well, is that kind of the way we had it set up? Yeah, pr prob probably not, but uh, but I, I don't know. I guess when she's trying to be alluring, she was uh, sans clothing. You okay. Know? Um, okay. And, it's always uh, worked for me. What's that? I said it's always worked for yes. me. <laughs> okay, okay. <laughs> it's the, that's the word at 34 Circe, so... Uh, <laughs> 
Well, what, what else? What else did they say? But, but, but in, ter- in terms of her epithets, Homer's epithets for her were golden Aphrodite. In other words, he's supposed to be blonde. Okay. And also laughter-loving Aphrodite. Mm, that's and nice. She, she's supposed to be very lighthearted and all that sort of thing, you know? So Okay, so we have that about um, Aphrodite. What were some of the epithets used to describe her? Laughter loving, okay. golden. Um, yeah, she was she was associated a lot of times with uh, lovebirds. She was described as a lover of laughter. Um, yeah, and that she had uh, blonde hair, golden hair. Golden hair. And of course, you know that. Uh, in the Iliad, it makes reference to the so-called judgment of Paris, um, where uh, initially at this wedding party uh, of the gods, uh, the three goddesses, Hera, the queen of the gods, uh, uh, Athena, the goddess of war, defensive war and wisdom, and Aphrodite, Mm -hmm. We're, we're vying to see who's the most beautiful, and they were trying to get Zeus to commit to that, and he didn't want to go there. So he passed it on to this young cowboy on Mount Ida, a, a mountain near Troy, and uh, his name was Paris. And so, the, you know, he has Hermes, the messenger of the gods, uh, you know, take the uh, three goddesses, escort the three goddesses to Mount Ida, and they force Paris to judge which is the most beautiful. And uh, and so the, this is the way it goes. I, this is the way I wrote it in my play, by the way. Um, and uh, Hera, queen of the gods, offered him Asia to rule, great riches and more. Athena offered her gifts to be the wisest man and ever victorious in war. But the goddess of love, laughter-loving Aphrodite, offered him the world's one woman of the greatest beauty. And so Paris can't resist that, being a young, virile young man. And uh, that leads to the tragedy of the Trojan War. So in other words, Aphrodite in that context is associated with terrible war and terrible tragedy. You know, that she brings it about through her own, you know, wiles. Yeah, she was, um, she had a lot of myths associated with, um, a lot of stories associated with her capriciousness. Um, you know, heaven forbid that anybody ever compared you to her beauty, because if she found out about that, she was not kind. Um, there are a couple of, um, you know, one of the reasons why she's associated with the, um, myrrh, uh, tree, um, the myrtle tree is that um, there was a, a priest of Aphrodite, Myrrha, and um, apparently, you know, someone had said that she was as pretty as Aphrodite. And uh, so Aphrodite caused her to fall in love with her own father and, um, and you know, became, uh, he, she became so enamored with her own father that she um, disguised herself and in secret, you know, met him in the dark in secret and seduced him, um, so that she could satisfy her passion. And, uh, when he found out about it, he pursued her to kill her. Her father pursued her to kill her 
and she prayed to the gods. She prayed to Aphrodite, who transformed her into the myrtle tree. So there is so much you. in that myth that is just wrong and really needs yeah. to be unpacked. But that's for another episode. That myth, yeah, that, into, that myth itself into. could be unpacked. But yeah, it's a it's a fascinating. You know, obviously the the passions that are stirred by lust. We know it's, it's, it's almost straight. We know what uh, happens to people when they follow those passions sometimes blindly. So I can see why that would be there in the Greeks. It also does seem to be a little bit of a fear of that kind of female sexuality that we've talked about earlier and its dangers and its need to be controlled. Yes, exactly. Et cetera, exactly. Et cetera. It's, but it's, it's a, she is still an extraordinary goddess that I think, you know, Gary, I'm sure you'd agree. We still to this day... Um, she may be the most famous of the Olympians, I think, that we still think of. That we still think of. Well, I, I would think so. And uh, you remember back in the uh, 50s and 60s, they had these various songs like Venus by Frankie Avalon. And uh, Don was mentioning another song, Venus by Bananarama. Right. Uh, that's, that's, yeah, that's from the 80s. That's from the 80s, yeah. yeah. From the 80s, yeah. But there have been songs to Venus, you know, and then there's uh, there's um, a play that um, that. Uh, oh, God, his name has flown right out of my head. Um, I'll think of it in a minute. But there's a famous play that, about, you know, Venus uh, um, coming to life and, you know, coming to uh, to. America, you know, and uh, and oh. living a life and making people fall in love and all that sort of thing. Oh, yeah. She is definitely, um, she's definitely a powerful force, as you know, love and lust, as you mentioned, Sean, are you know the most some of the most basic of our emotions. Yeah, I mean, there's the Marlena Dietrich, wasn't it? Blonde Venus. She's in the early 30s. Oh, yeah. uh, there's yeah. so many yeah. different kinds of variations on that theme. So. She is the omnipresent goddess in our even in our contemporary yes. world. So Gary, now we got to mention uh, we got to mention that she had a helper. Oh, of course. And and the helper the Greeks called he was like a little boy with wings, and uh, his name was Eros in Greek, but the Romans called him Cupid. Right. And there was another song, Cupid. You know, Cupid, if you will, please send me a little. You know, a little girl to thrill that kind of thing. Sam Cook, yeah, yeah, Yeah. Sam Cook, yeah. And there are some, you know, there are conflicting um, uh, stories about his um, his where he came from as well. Some some say that he was uh, all you know separate that he 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 sort of palled around with her later, but was not connected to her. Um, in any family way, some say that he is um, her son, um, and uh, some say that he is her son. Um, that he was, he has no father. Surprisingly, um, that he was just her son by you know Parthenogenesis. So, and you know, he's he's always depicted even on. Valentine's Day cards today, uh, shooting his bow, and right. if he shot shot his magical arrow into you, you'd fall in love with whoever you know, you, you know, you you first see or something like that, you know. Right, right. But oh, but always under Aphrodite's direction. You know, she would say, "Cupid, go," you know. 
Yes. Don't make that person fall in love with that person. Yeah. Well, I was just going to say, do we want to close with um, with going back to some of her um, some of her origins and the other things that she originally represented? Because I have a poem that I want to to okay. close. Great, absolutely. I was going to do our one more thing. So we want to include in that. Could that could that be your one more thing? Sure. Let's do that. So let's start with you, Doctor Stickle. Could you give us your one more thing that you hope people take away from this about Aphrodite? Well, like we've been saying, you don't want to tick her off because if you do, then you're not going to have a love life. So. And then, <laughs> And that's basically where I'm at right now. I've, I've, I've offended her somehow, so I got to get on her good side. Okay. Fantastic. And now, Dawn. All right. So, um, before she was sort of relegated to um, to love and sex and uh, romance, she was known as goddess of the sphere, the spear. Excuse me, at Paphos, she who battles in Milasa, and as armored Aphrodite on Kythera and at Acrocorinth. So she had other attributes um, in the beginning. And in that aspect of Aphrodite as goddess of all, um, there is a poem that was uh, written by Aeschylus as... Aphrodite saying, I am the goddess Cypria, mighty among people. They honor me by many names, from the tides of Pontus to the pillars of Atlas. These lands are mine to rule. To those who acknowledge my power, I give honors and rewards. But those who dare to defy me, I shall swing them by their heels. That is awesome. A great, great poem. And, it, you know, you get that whole sense of her being the goddess of love and having been a goddess of war, of battle before. So mm -hmm. really wonderful. Yeah. That's my one thing, one more thing, which is, as they say today, well, we have in Aphrodite a goddess of love and a goddess of war. And I, as I was saying, as they say today, get yourself a girl that can do both. So... <laughs> um, on that note, I just want to thank Dr. Gary Stickle. Thank you, Gary. As always. Thank, thank you. Thank you, Gary. It is always a pleasure. Thank you, thank you both. And thank you, Dawn, for your great contributions, as always. This is... And, sorry, go ahead, please. And thank you, Sean, as always, for being our host and uh, ringmaster. That's the word I'm there looking for, ringmaster. <laughs> Guiding us through the pantheon. If we get there and meet more goddesses, that's going to be our goal within praise of the goddess. So Absolutely. thank you, everyone, for listening. This has been the 34 Circe Salon. Make matriarchy great again. Take care. Take care and blessed be. 